Welcome back. Happy New Year 2021. <laughs> Please let it be a better new year than it was 2020. Did anyone see the Netflix special? What is it? Something about 2020? Um, go to hell 2020 or whatever. <laughs> no. It's just this silly like parody news thing. They've got um, Samuel Jackson and they're all playing, you know, like fake pundits. It's really funny talking about 2020 like uh it, like they're on a news magazine um the person who played phoebe from from uh from uh friends is like she's kind of like the kelly and conway type character and she, <laughs> nothing's ever wrong it is hilarious so everyone welcome everybody to the 2021 edition of uh chariot developer news i'm ken ripple and with me today is becca refford producer extraordinaire oh, hi yes. becca hi how are you today? I'm doing well. You didn't say Tech Chat Tuesdays. <laughs> it's Tech Chat it's Tuesday. Tech Chat Tuesday. The, what? Yeah. Uh, chat Um. Yeah. Well, welcome to the thing we do. <laughs> <laughs> um. Here, let me do this. Can you? Sh uh. Can you let me share my stuff? Yeah. Go ahead and pop it on here, and I'll put it okay, on the screen. Cool. Um. Application window. So, and as per usual, I am just getting mentally started here with this dev news. Do you see a blank browser browsing his guest? Boom. I do. Hey, everybody. Tech Chat Tuesday for Tuesday, January fifth, twenty twenty one. Uh, and I'm only two minutes late. My my new uh goal is to be two or less minutes late starting this stream. <laughs> um. So Becca and I are going to go through some developer news. And the biggest developer news happened when I was trying to check in with Becca yesterday uh, on Slack, which we all use. Oh, sure, The Verge, whatever. Um, Slack starts 2021 with a massive outage. <laughs> you realize how much you use a cloud service when the cloud service is offline. Um, and you know, our whole development team uses Slack to communicate. We have customers that use Slack to, uh, to communicate. And it went down at about 10 o'clock in the morning uh eastern time uh was done uh, finally came back online after 3 p.m and it was such a bad um they, they must cache their status on connections in slack so there the, i i had slack on ubuntu linux i kept trying to launch it i kept trying to launch it and when i tried to launch it i get the nice little spinning thing and nothing and then even when the service was back online I then had to go in and I was I was going to reboot, but I had a lot of tabs open. So I did a kill all command in, in Linux, which is like kill everything with the process name Slack. And then once I physically beat it to death and said, you must die and end, it came back online again. Uh -huh. So it would, it would launch and reconnect. And that's what they were saying. I guess it was like a command shift R or something like that. But um, I'm not sure. We're going to try to track this down and see exactly what's what happened. There was a Reddit... Uh, thread be prepared for language i'm sure here um oh kill me stop with that that is not what i wanted can we try that again there we go come on an hour or an hour to quote upgrade it into an outage and four hours to have some customers working doesn't look good Oof. um yeah, it's funny because you know this is the kind of stuff you see when like a cloud provider goes out, but they're they're a cloud app provider, not a cloud true like like they're not an infrastructure provider where you run servers on them, but they're a cloud service. It's, it's like if you if you had Gmail go down, it's about the same thing, and that's happened a couple times where Gmail is done and you have nothing you can do. Um, more and more of these, 
sometimes makes me think that we're going down a weird path um, with everything being so connected. You know, it's like uh, tying all of our supply chains together and suddenly having a huge issue with shipping or something like that. You know, um, these are problems you get when you have interconnected systems. And so I thought to myself, um, those people at Oxide Computer really get interesting to me the more I look at them. The reason I'm mentioning these guys is I, I've heard from a couple of people uh, out there that they're still considering or even considering because of things like cost going back from cloud providers to running their own infrastructure. And still, even with the cloud providers out there like AWS, which is huge, we do a lot of work with them, there are only, I think it's six to 8% of all systems out there are truly running on the cloud. So I'm not saying run away from the cloud, don't do that. Um, but there are people that will resist because of things like that. Because when there's systems that must be up full time, that they can't go down, and certain like you know service providers like a, a Slack or a Gmail going down could affect a lot of people, and you have no control over it. Um, I think with AWS and with with uh, Azure and things like that, you have some options when things go down. So for example, you could run in different regions, right? Um, where you have different physical data centers running things and you could fail over to them if you've architected things to handle failover. And I know Keith, Gregory, and I have talked a lot about that on this show. But it definitely puts you in a kind of situation where, um, you know, some companies might consider, well, why don't we just run our own thing and keep connected to just a plain old internet network provider and maybe two of them on different, uh, you know, uh, physical networks like, you know, a uh, interconnect for AT&T and interconnect for some other group. Well, you remember the last AWS outage? That guy did that tweet that was like, well, I can't use my smart vacuum cleaner because yes. AWS is out in US East. Roomba. Like it's yeah, there's Roomba. That's right. It's amazing how interconnected things are and yeah. the impact that an outage can have it, on people's ring doorbells. Like, yep. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the the architecture of the service and making it, you know, some companies are doing multi-cloud where they're saying, you know, my the way I'm going to protect myself is by running an AWS, but I'll fail over to Azure because at least it's two different infrastructure systems. Now you could look at that and say, oh my God, I have to learn two different provisioning systems and two different sets of services. But a lot of people are choosing to go with things like uh, Kubernetes and Docker. And so, you know, a container system where the container can be built and run on anything, and you can deploy the container on different cloud providers and just connect it to a database or a network or a queue or whatever, um, sure looks somewhat appealing in terms of redundancy there. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about Oxide Computer. So uh, let me see if I can find this. Um, I'm not sure whether they're actually in production with anything yet, but uh, they are working on cloud scale computing. Um, and so their cloud scale computing is hardware based. It's rack mount design. Um, I'm looking obviously for something that I did not plan on looking for this quickly, <laughs> but uh, like, uh, okay, let's see, RFD one. So Jesse Frizzell, who, by the way, if anyone knows her, we are looking at maybe getting her for ETE if it's at all possible. Um, I think she's great. She's really good on the podcast or Brian Cantrill. So either of them are kind of the two of the leaders of this company um, is they are putting together with Rust as a language, they're putting together an infrastructure management tool for the backplane of this cloud infrastructure uh, that you can run locally. So you can load racks 
and get the same kind of performance you would get in some of the highly scalable um, machines in an Amazon or an Azure um, platform. So it's interesting to see where this will go uh, and whether this company comes out of kind of their uh, you know, learning how things work. I'm just looking for something. There is a podcast here, by the way, uh, that I like called On the Metal. And On the Metal is their uh, podcast that they have where they talk uh, you know, about the things they're doing. So for example, they talk about, um, you know, let's see. Uh, so they talk to someone from Veritas software. Um, they talk to, uh, someone here, um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, work with a lot of different systems, um, you know, like Facebook, for example, uh, worked on Facebook. And so they're talking to different leaders, but they, they mix in some of the challenges they have in building things as well. Anyway, the type of company to be interested in um, as we kind of move forward in this, this new world. And back to the Slack thing, there's a great tweet. It was like, why does Slack being down have the same energy as when teachers didn't show up for class in high school and someone was like, we're legally allowed to leave if they don't show up in five, 15 minutes. That's <laughs> 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 such a good one. Where's our sub? We're yeah. out of here. And they all go out and cut class. Yeah. Here's another funny tweet. Um, <laughs> this reminds me of it too. GitHub help. You blocked our entire company account after one employee opened his laptop while visiting his parents in Iran. Oh, no. We are completely blocked from deploying. Now, depends on what your company does, but if it's not a defense company, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're not dealing with like secrets and then why would it be on GitHub? Um, that's bad too. So this is another thing. You're, you're using a cloud-based provider and the cloud-based provider is blocking you because of their policies, but they block the whole company, uh, probably automated. You know, I'm sure it's probably automated. They did resolve it in like 23 minutes, so good news. At least it looks like that. Hold on. Uh, no, that's not true. The two hours ago, it says their, their account was back, so it looks like they were out for a, a day on that. Ow! So yeah, so clouds. Clouds are fun. <laughs> we love clouds. We do a lot of work on clouds, but they're they're sometimes challenging when the unexpected happens like most things. All right. Here's a good one. I am an electric car owner, not to brag. And I didn't buy an expensive, a super expensive electric car. I own a Chevy bolt um, disclosure. And I, this is my second Chevy bolt. I actually upgraded to the one with leather uh, seats and it's really nice. And I pay, I'm paying the same thing I did for the one I bought four years ago, almost. Um, because they really wanted to sell a car. But I've loved my electric car. It's been great. I don't pay any electric fees because my, you know, my my power plant at my house covers the cost of charging. So I'm basically driving a car around for just the car payment and no gas fees. That's cool. I love electric cars. And you know, a number of people at Chariot are are moving into having Teslas and things like that. Not everyone, but there's a handful of them. I think over time, as more of them come out, you're going to see more adoption in America. What's missing in America is the charging networks. So I can go down the street and get 70 gallons of gas and drink it. Um, I can't find a charging station that will charge fast enough for me to be on a long trip. Um, uh, because of my type of charger, which is the second most common type of charging plug, uh, doesn't fit the ones that Tesla has, which is the most common one, I'm kind of stuck. Um, I think that's going to change in the next five years. But here's something interesting. Norway. There's a Guardian article on this. Uh, Norway, for the first time, 
they now have more electric car sales than regular car sales in Norway. It's the first country in the world where the sale of electric cars has overtaken them by diesel, gasoline, hybrid engines, petrol, because we're reading The Guardian from Britain. Um, and so this, this is a really interesting one. Uh, and also, uh, this is interesting. What does it say here? With German car maker Volkswagen replacing Tesla as the top battery vehicle producer. So it looks like you know Volkswagen out there is getting more sales. Um, yeah, 54.3% of all new cars sold. And it was, by the way, 42% in 2019. So, I mean, we have very, very small percentages in the United States. Um, you know, you can see them because they're novel, you know? Like you see a Tesla, like, oh, someone has a Tesla. Mm -hmm. More and more of them, but it's not like every third car is a Tesla. Norway always has it going on, too. Like, they're yeah. just ahead of the curve in a whole lot of things. I think they're, like, on the happiness index, too. They're always ranked really highly year after year. Yep, absolutely. And and they have zeros in their names, which I think is really cool. <laughs> uh, sorry, Norway. Please don't unfollow me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so very cool. Volkswagen's Audi brand topped the 2020 leaderboard with its e-tron sports utility and sportsback vehicles, according to the article, as the most sold new passenger cars in Norway last year. Tesla midsize Model 3 2019 leader was relegated to second place. Mm. So cool stuff, you know. All right. Hey, can we do one of yours? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Let's okay. talk. I have some things to say about this too. Let's talk about, let's give a moment of silence. Just a quiet moment of silence for Flash. Oh, pour one out for your Neopets. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We used to use Flash at one point. Um, we used this thing called Flex, Adobe Flex. So at the time of about 2006, I'm going to call it. Uh, that's a guess. Front-end development was nasty. Uh, people were doing, you know, we were, we were doing server-side rendered things, which is coming around again, but we were doing everything on the server rendered HTML to the client, right? Like PHP. We were doing Spring, for example, or maybe Ruby on Rails. Um, and it was all server-side templates that rendered into HTML. And some people were using things like jQuery. Um, or just HTML and JavaScript together uh, to tie things together, do smart validations. But Adobe came out with this tool called Flex. It was based on the Flash player. And what it was was a runtime to support a user interface engine that ran in your browser. Kind of think of it as like Applets version two, right? Java Applets were this horrible thing where you saw a gray screen come up and you waited 85 weeks, and you went out and you built a house. <laughs> you came back, and it was painting the first form. And it's like, what am I doing? Um, you know, Sun said the network was the computer, but they didn't realize the network was everyone's computer, and it was really slow at the at the time of like the, the late 90s. So so Flash came along, and they said, well, the Flash runtime is on every computer or can be. So we'll just send this little tiny API down for Flex and do front ends and Flex. And we really, some of us really liked it. It had a really fast networking tool called Blaze DS, really smoked it, um, a very fast compressed networking back and forth to a server. Um, and, you know, it was it was a nice user interface. And then Apple killed Flex. They said, you know what? We're not going to support Flex on this because it's going to be too darn slow. Flash is not a fast platform. Yeah. They were right. So, Becca, that was when the iPhone came out. So 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I don't know anymore. This is version 12 of the iPhone, so it must be at least 12 years. But anyway, 
what happened since then with Flash? Nothing, right? Mm-mm. I mean, it's kind of the butt of design jokes as well, you know, like, <laughs> oh, that site's built in Flash. But yeah, yeah it, they finally sunsetted it December 31st, 2020. Um, they strongly recommend that all users immediately uninstall it from their computers. Um, Wow. I mean, my first thought was I instantly checked the Space Jam website <laughs> to see if it was still going, and it is. It's still plugging away. <laughs> Space Jam! <laughs> it is like everything that you imagine 1996 internet should look like. Is this the basketball movie, Space yeah, Jam? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to close it because we're going to get content uh, oh, yeah. takedown notices. I know, I know. So um, it wasn't loading for me just now, so maybe it's it maybe it's officially gone. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't I actually, There's a Twitter account that I follow <laughs> called at Space Jam Check that just texts like <laughs> periodically on the site and says like, you know, just so everyone's aware, the Space Jam website is still online as of January 5th, 2021. Uh, yeah, Space Jam's better. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, gosh, I, now I'm going to check it on mine. In case you were worried, Space Jam is still online. Oh, it's really loading out yeah. on my end. Oh, my yes. gosh, did we just see Space Jam website for the last time today? Okay, it's loading. All right, we're good. Okay, no, so, we're yeah. totally going to get flagged. I keep saying Space Jam. <laughs> Big giant takedown notice. Yeah. Uh, sorry, folks. We didn't actually show Space Sam. So there. I guess I guess he did. So that's that's gonna be the problem. I, I love this person, whoever it is. I am now I, I won't follow from a guest account, but I'm gonna follow that person. That's hilarious. Okay. Here's another um interesting thing. You know, we talk about Internet of Things technologies, right? The the devices, and I don't have one laying around, but the devices that uh, do Internet of Things, uh, they're little tiny computers, controllers that you know can grab information from sensors and send information up through the internet. So the things on the internet of things. Google terminated a project this week or yeah, it's done sunset. I think as of today, let's see, I forget. InfoQ reports this, um, Bruno Coriol. Uh, Google recently announced phasing out its Android things IoT platform. New projects will not be accepted after January 5th, 2021. And the Android Things console will be turned down for all projects in 2022. Oh, I didn't realize Android Things was like a proper noun. When you posted that in the Slack, I just assumed like all Android, Android Things Go. in general. Okay, okay. That would be bad. Yeah, right? I was like that's a really uh, Half intense. of the world's like, I don't want an Apple iPhone. <laughs> 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 don't believe in it. Um, or it's cheaper too. Um, yeah, so so this is this is an interesting uh, thing. I didn't realize Android things was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> to keep with my bad jokes, uh, just waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, America uh, and the world. So so the thing is, um, it, it was a really kind of small announcement. Uh, of the link to a, a FAQ is that Android Things console will stop supporting new projects and turn down for existing projects. Um, so apparently, I did a little bit of reading into this. There are some devices. Uh, like Lenovo Smart Display, Samsung's JBL, and LG's WK9 Smart Display. So smart speakers, smart displays were using this. Um, uh, one of the reasons it was, I guess, an issue was they didn't use its own hardware. They're using the Google Cast platform, which I guess is run by something else. Um, and also they feel that like uh, the the the... the or, or people feel that the requirements for the hardware for an IoT device for, for the Android things, it had to be a pretty beefy board. So like, for example, a Raspberry Pi 3 or above, 
um, the Intel Edison, which is a, a more powerful chip, at least 512 megs of RAM, um, you know, probably one gig was safest. Android uses Linux kernel as its core is a quote from Gary Sims in an article. Uh, and Linux is a full multitasking operating system with virtual memory support. So it needs a lot of stuff, basically, kind of to, to, to say that. And, you know, it's interesting. You could run a lot of devices out there with IoT that are tiny little devices. Um, I think of things like, and I'll, I'll just, oh, things, the, yeah. the, the noun things that can get popular. You know, one of the ones I like and have played with before is the Feather. So these are using ESP, uh, I forget the chip, ESP32, 32-bit chip uh, as a microcontroller. And the Feather, because it's light as a feather, uh, there's a whole bunch of them out there with different things through, thrown onto them. So, for example, I scroll down a little bit here. Um, one of these has Bluetooth low energy and native USB support. Um, another one has, um, oh, so, so the Feather wings connect to a Feather and add things to them. So these are for hobbyists, obviously, but this is kind of cool. So this is a Featherling with an OLED on it. So you can have a like a feather with sensors wired into it and then have a little Featherwing reporting temperature and pressure and humidity and stuff like that. Yeah. Really cool. Um, GPS, right? So there's all these little things you can do. This is cool. Keyboard Featherwing. You can throw a keyboard on a feather. Oh, wow. I like this. This is like totally, you walk into some place with that. They're like, what the hell do you have? <laughs> They'd be very concerned about you. Um, and of course, these are all out of stock, I'm sure. Anyway, my point being, these are like $10, $15, $20 Internet of Thing devices. Um, and they don't need to be super expensive. You don't need a Raspberry Pi. Now, Raspberry Pis, you know, that aren't super expensive either, but they also need the power requirements, right? These things can run a little tiny polymer battery for a long time, or in some cases, even a coin battery. Um, and they still have networking, but they don't need a full multitasking operating system. So I think that was at the heart of why they decided to sunset this thing. Um, you know, low-end microcontrollers is one example to focus on the product owner. We want to see great software. This is uh, um, Peter Hadi, co-founder of Moderable, uh, in an InfoQ interval, uh, interview. So, you know, you want to see great software on every device. This isn't going to happen if a product requires $100 worth of hardware to run the software. So that's why that doesn't exist. I think it's a good move by Google. You know, the hardware has moved further past what their requirements are and gotten lighter and leaner. And infrastructure out there like, um, you know, MQTT for messaging has become very, uh, like, prevalent. You know, for example, Amazon's IoT uh, and other ones have that as, like, a communications protocol. It's all been figured out and done on small libraries and small low-power devices. So I think that's one of the reasons that there that is ceasing to be, as the parrot sketch would say. Uh, let's see here. Is it Christmas.com? <laughs> All right. I'm going to bring this up. What is this, Becca? Tell me more. <laughs> for those of you who celebrate, it's this handy website that's been around for like ages. Is it <laughs> Christmas.com? <laughs> Very simple. Serves one purpose. I hit it on Christmas Day. It's like my little Christmas tradition in our house. And it says yes. <laughs> do one thing and do it well. Yep, that's right. The goal of any piece <laughs> of software. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to check the source code of this if I can. Let's see if they did it locally. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's an, I think it's an Angular or React app. Because <laughs> this is going to be fun. Uh, this has been minimized. It appears, um, maybe. 
No, it hasn't. Oh, we're, gonna have, <laughs> we're gonna have fun, Becca. All right, let's see. Uh, it has an API. <laughs> oh, look, oh, it checks your country too. Look at this arrive. Oh, wow. So it must be that it it has a WebSocket open. Well, let's go to network. Let me reload. Or maybe they're not using that. Is it Christmas.com? It's cute. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to spend some time on this because I need to know. That's cute. That's a riot. Thank you for that one. Yeah. Because silly is good. All right. Uh, let's see. I've got another useful one for everybody out there. Oh, by the way, these will all be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, you post them in the chat uh, message later, right? Like you, you put the links in there too on YouTube. Yeah, in the YouTube yeah. description and also over on the Chariot site as well. ChariotSolutions.com slash TechCast. Oh, speaking of Chariot blog mm -hmm. stuff, I know we can harken back to the cloud discussion. Keith yeah. posted a pretty hot take, a blog post called Why I Don't Like Kubernetes. Um, and it's it's a pretty good read. If you guys want to check that out, that's over on ChariotSolutions.com slash blog. How many T's do I need for HTTPS? Help me. Uh, <laughs> just notice that. Hold on. Might as well look at the blog. Why oh, I don't like Kubernetes. Um, and Keith uses Kubernetes uh, as well. But, you know, uh, he's been through some production stuff. Uh, there's his blog article. Uh, definitely take a look at that. Uh, you know, it, there are things that Kubernetes makes very Kubernetes-like that you don't have to do in things like ECS, uh, which is the Elastic Container Service in Amazon, for example. So I think that might be kind of the crux of that article. Um, also, another one that just came up, thank you for reminding me about the blog, is Joe Berger's great article. This looks pretty comprehensive, and I'm going to have him on uh, for a 15 minutes with and also a, uh, a deep dive interview. Cool. Uh, React Native versus Flutter versus plain native uh, front-end applications, an ultimate guide for decision makers. Um, so, uh, you know, he goes through a whole bunch of things talking about, you know, popularity and taking a look at the different uh, pieces of mobile stack and going through what the differences are, uh, the development environment. He's been working in all three of these. So he has some good things to say. So check that out. That's another one. Um, do we have any 15 minutes with, let me see here. Not recent ones. We've okay. got one in the wings that's coming out shortly here, but. Well, I want to bring up something we need to talk about or Tracy will kill me later. Um, we have launched, and I mentioned it last time, but it probably didn't, but people were getting ready to go away. So I get it. I, I know you don't always watch. It's okay, people. <laughs> Philly Emerging Tech. What? Coming to a theater near you online. We are we are doing uh, Philly ETE again, the conference, uh, May 4th to 6th, 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, and get this, uh, it will be online. Uh, we don't know when everyone's going to get vaccinated, so we're not going to try to put anyone at risk. Mm -hmm. I think by 2022, we'll be all hanging out together. I can't wait for that. But we have some amazing stuff planned already, and we're still planning speakers. And it's cheap right now. If you get online now and go to phillyemergingtech.com, you can get it for 70 bucks. You can get a, I think it's, is it three days? Yeah, fourth, fifth, and sixth. We're spreading mm -hmm. because one of the things we learned by doing it online last year was, you know, it makes sense to spread it out into three days of less than a full day worth of content so people don't get burned out. 
Um, you know, we, we used Slack. Uh, we used Slack. <laughs> Remember the beginning of the show? We used Slack for, for engagement and communication. It went really well, actually. So I think we're going to probably do something like that again. So anyway, 70 bucks. Look that Alan K. book. Yeah. yeah, sorry you to not spoil there, but no, you could bear you could hit awesome. it anytime. Alan K., the man who had helped create object-oriented programming, who had built the first graphical user interface. And he's working with teaching children now, I believe. Um, he is an unbelievable person, really, really one of the luminaries of this, this industry. And uh he said yes to us to be a keynote. Wow. So that alone is worth your 70 bucks. It's worth a lot more than your 70 bucks. So part with your 70 bucks and come to the conference. We really, we break even or make a little on it, you know, and sometimes don't. We are not all about making money for this conference. We're about community and sharing and ideas and meeting everybody. And so that's what we're about as a consulting firm. We just want to make sure we know what's going on. So we've always built our you know, uh, events based on what we know we want to see. And we know uh, we get input from the community. We have some really good people on our board. And we were kicking ideas around. And someone said, what about Alan Kay? And we reached out and he said yes. So that's one. Uh, Brian Getz, Java Language Architect at Oracle, who you've seen on this channel uh, multiple times from ETE, as well as in the uh, 25th anniversary of Java retrospective I did with him. Great, great person. Um, very open, always communicates with everyone, uh, loves being in the physical conferences. He would love to come back in person, I know. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's going to give us a talk. David Nolan, huge closure luminary. He's going to do a closure script uh, based thing, I believe. We've got some other people from things like from companies like Comcast. Uh, Lee May Nasseri from Spotify. She's an engineering manager at Spotify. Um, and we have Matthew Plourd from Monetate. Matthew, uh, I'm just going to run off the edge of the screen here. Is it Hawthorne? Matthew yeah. Hawthorne and Nithya Ruff from Comcast. So those are just the beginning. We just have, uh, we have these nine speakers. We are definitely working on the other, you know, uh, almost 20. We scored someone from GoPuff too, which that was a thing that our committee agreed upon. Like what happened at GoPuff this year? Because they saw big changes happening. Huge. So that's going to be a cool case study. That'll go up. Yeah, that'll go up soon, I'm sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so anyway, so that's uh those are the featured speakers at the moment. You can check back and see what's going on. It is not the the, the final list, but those are the ones we've booked so far. PhillyEmergingTech.com. Join us. We don't have any room capacity issues. So tell all your friends. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great event. I can't wait for it myself. All right. Sorry, that was a diversion, but it was an important diversion. I will have one more diversion while I'm on the about us stuff. We are hiring. Oh, yeah. So, uh, careers. What? careers. 1R. There we go. So, we, we have, uh, we're opening, uh, some, some job openings right now for some, uh, you know, engineers. Um, you know, our work is continuing. We, you know, hire, um, not as frequently as some companies. Uh, but we uh, definitely are looking for a couple of good engineers. And so, if you look at uh, our benefits, are great. Um, we definitely take work-life balance seriously. Um, if you take a look at the open positions, uh, right now we're looking primarily at a senior software engineer with some uh, cloud focus, specifically around AWS. Uh, if you're really good at a particular stack like Java or Python or Node, uh, if you're really good at a front end, uh, if you're good on databases, we would love to talk to you. 
So, you know, head over to chariotsolutions.com slash careers for more information there. Also, just chariot people are good people in general. Oh, Period. thank you. Yeah, you guys are the best. Uh, and so are you. So we're all chariot here. All right. So let's see here. Um, I got another cool tech thing. Here we go. I ran across this today. I go to this one site. Um, you can save yourself some effort and go to hackyourhealth.com. <laughs> it's got all the different like uh, places that I pull news from myself. Um, but this guy on uh, Top Toll Developers put together, I'm going to go through this and really dig through it because I, I want to make sure it's as good as I think it is. But Puneet Jajodi, I believe, and I'm going to say that name wrong. I apologize, Puneet. Um, the Definitive Guide to Date Time Manipulation. Um, so I thought anyone writing that, and it's going to be a real simple thing. This goes on, but it goes on with a lot of really good tips. Uh, and mostly it's, it looks like it's JavaScript driven for examples. So the main thing is, and I, I agree with this, is if you're dealing with time and dates, you should be dealing with them in UTC, right? On the server, everything should be in standard time, universal coordinated time, because you don't know where that time is getting consumed or pushed. So a lot of what he talks about is how to get things into that format, out of that format, how to localize it to different uh, time formats. Um, so, for example, you know, here's the here's the standard ISO date format, ISO 8601. And you'll see this whenever you export something to JSON and it's got a date. That's the format that it, it outputs to. And, you know, so, for example, the time zone off that will be your local time zone. Point he would make is go to UTC time zone, translate it to universal time and send it because then the system doesn't have to care where you're from to get the time localization right to store it in UTC itself, right? So that's that's part of the whole thing here. Um, and then he talks about, for example, manipulating dates, arithmetic with dates, you know, figuring out how to piece with uh, things together. But he's saying that, you know, you could use a date library and I use date FNS, date functions, but you can also learn the basics and just use the basics. So he talks about the date object, he talks about the timestamp, parsing it, all good stuff, stuff I've done before and, and value. But it's like if I had to give someone a reference on dates that's comprehensive, I'd probably look at this and bookmark it, send it along. Uh, things on formatting, like the date time format. There's an international date time format built into the browser that I don't do a lot of internationalized code. Um, I didn't realize this existed until about two months ago. Who am I, right? And I, I do a lot of teaching and I don't do a lot of internationalized code. But yeah, that's been around. It's been around for a while. Um, so that exists. You can say, I want to get this particular format. I want a numeric year, a long month, and a numeric day. And then it would be uh, February 14th, 2020, like that. So anyway, really interesting. And like I said, it goes on and talks about a lot of different scenarios. That's very cool. Daytime can be prickly. I was like banging Whoa. my head against daytime stuff in PHP about a week ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at my dog sitting at my feet and just being like, you're so lucky you have no concept of time. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to I really make sure that uh, he's using the right math here. And I'm just talking through this. The one thing you want to be careful of is not doing the wrong mathematics to to just add something directly to a date and suddenly you're past like a uh, a time zone change or something like that and it breaks. So I want to double check this code. And I will post an update to this next week if I feel there's something wrong. If you hear nothing next week, we're good. Or if I have nothing in the notes. But it looks very comprehensive. Anyway, thought that was a good thing. Okay, one more interesting uh, post here. 
Linus Torvalds, um, sometimes uh, he's the guy that created Linux, right? The Linux kernel and still is part of it. Um, kernel commit and process. Uh, has accused Intel of preventing, this is on uh, slash dot um, from the register as the original. So let me just uh, open up the register article in another tab. Uh, Linux creator Linus Torvalds has accused Intel of preventing widespread use of error correcting memory. So you could buy in the past, I remember this, you could buy error correcting memory and usually servers had this, or you could buy non-error correcting memory. And what they do is they add a couple parity bits, I think. Um, and, and the idea is that when it writes and reads the memory, uh, it, you know, it prevents a accidental thing like background radiation or static or whatever from accidentally flipping a bit and you not detecting it. Um, so there's this technique called row hammer. And the idea there is that you keep hitting the same memory location constantly reading it, not writing it. But if you keep hammering this thing over time, it can change the state of that bit of memory and break your application. Um, his point is, look, error correcting memory has been around for 50 years. But most PCs can't use it. Um, you know, it's a feature of the Xeon range. So if you buy a Xeon Intel processor for servers, high-end workstations, um, you can get it, but you can't do it on the core Intel chips that you buy for regular computing. Um, so AMD apparently, as another chip manufacturer, has had semi-official ECC support in most of its processors. Um, it's unofficial, but it's usable. So the point being, look, you know, why isn't Intel supporting ECC for its lower-end consumer laptops. That can be the cause of a lot of crashes if you're not aware of it, um, you know, maybe. Um, and, you know, you could have, you know, attacks that start by corrupting memory to get a way in, right? So um, if you look at the Xeon CPUs, it's really, really expensive. So it's not like you can just go and for the same kind of relative cost, put together a Xeon-based, you know, desktop workstation. You're, you're talking, you know, I think several thousand more total to get that working with the memory that costs a lot for the memory too. So interesting kind of thing. The register article is what he's referencing. And so uh, that's Linus's rant. Um, you might want to read that up and get a feel for it. I don't know if the new M1 MacBooks are using ECC memory. I would kind of doubt it. Uh, I'm going to double check. Apple M1 ECC. It would be popping out screaming at me if it did. So it can run much faster and crash much earlier. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> By the way, people are still flipping out about the 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 M1 MacBook speed. Um, I, I this guy that I follow, Josh Long, on Twitter. Uh, Josh Long's a Spring Source guy, uh, or has been a Spring Source guy. I'm not sure what he does today, but he used to work at Spring, uh, and he got a Silicon uh, Apple Silicon Mac, uh, and it's just speeding along. He's using Java on it. He's using Visual Studio Code, I believe, and it's just smoking. And he's using Docker. Docker finally did get released in an alpha version where you could run Docker containers on it. Um, and I think it might use Rosetta 2 for some of the container translation. I'm not 100% sure about that. So I'm still itching to get my hands on an M1 Apple just to kick the tires, but I just bought a guitar, so that's not <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's it. I think we we just did 40 minutes of pure tech info for you for your new year. Let's make 2021 a great year uh, and subscribe. You know, the, the old line YouTube, like and subscribe to That's my right. podcast. Um, it's almost the joke of everybody, you know. 
But yeah, please uh, feel free to subscribe to this uh, particular video. If you uh, got here by Googling, and you don't know how to subscribe, go to chariotsolutions.com slash techcast. Becca's put the subscription links for RSS and iTunes links right there. Uh, you can watch it there as well. Uh, if you go to the Chariot Solutions, uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Chariotsolutions.com. And we changed the name to videos, but it's the same link as it was. Uh, videos under resources, it's the screencast link. I did that because I drove myself nuts on the word screencast forever, and everyone's been bothering me about the word screencast because sometimes it's just the video, you know? So anyway, um, yeah, resources, videos on the menu, or just plain old slash screencasts. Um, you can get them there. Um, and also, like, under the podcasts. Actually, no, that isn't right, is it, Becca? It's still podcast, isn't it? It is. That's where good. Never mind. Yeah. I lie. Resources slash podcast. I don't watch what I do. Oh, wait. Tech cast. Oh, did you say tech cast? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Go, to, go to slash podcast. There slash you go. Podcast. Yeah. Which, by the way, I think slash tech cast is the same darn thing. Nope. But to your point, <laughs> the RSS and iTunes links are on slash podcast. So there we go. These taxonomies. Okay. It makes my head hurt. <laughs> I know. Me too. <laughs> WordPress. Why? Before this, I'll tell a funny story. And I'll bet you have the same story at your company if you're a software development company. We started by building our own website because it was something to do while we were prepping for other projects and we could use technology on it. So I know our corporate website way back in the OOs was a Java one, then Java Spring, then Ruby on Rails. Right. And then Ruby on Rails 3, which killed me when I upgraded to it. And I said, no, never again. We are going with WordPress. Becca, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? I didn't want the developers to have to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. You know, everyone has the shoemaker's children have those shoes problem. That's a fun one. Um, <laughs> so we just finally all looked at ourselves and said, you know what? Let's put it on WordPress. And you know what? WordPress is WordPress. Mm -hmm. That's all I had to say about that. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> It's WordPress. And Becca will pull her hair out. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, folks. All right. Hey, listen, everyone, make it a great week. Uh, I will be off next week. I'm doing a teaching assignment, so we're going to take a break. We might do a video that's pre-recorded, but I know myself, and I'm going to guess that's not going to happen. But we'll start back up again uh, the following week. And we'll so, see you then at noon. Yep. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye.